0: Well, good morning, happy Mother's Day, happy Senior Day, asking me to preach on those days is liable to end up in somebody needing a bucket and a mop to get me off the stage, so we're going to just get right into it. Um, here it goes. So my name is Kerry Gilbert, uh, my wife and I, Sherry, have been at this church uh, probably 21 going on 22 years, and so this is a special place. As Jeff mentioned, um, it has uh, led us to places where we recognize our need for a body like this, and we are really blessed to be a part of this church. We have two kids, Cade uh, and Corin. Cade is a just finished his junior year at A&M, and now he gets to whoop. Now he gets to whoop or something. Um, <clears throat> and then my daughter though, we raised her better and she's staying at tech. Now, I'll do I'll, in all honesty, I, I have really I'm a I'm a long I went to Texas and that's gonna get the his sisters in the booze. You know? <laughs> Here we go. This is good for me. But um, we've really grown to love A&M, and and we have grown to love the community here in Lubbock and uh, the university. I work for the Health Sciences Center, and so um, they pay my salary. This is being recorded, and um, we're just, it, it's really a great community, and we love being here, so, so thank you. Um, I'm humbled to be here to talk to you about the passage today. Todd has worked tirelessly getting us through to Chapter 12, right? He's done all the work, and then he steps aside and lets me get to have all the fun this is great. But really, I should probably thank Graham, because Graham graduated a year early from ACU. Graduation was yesterday, and Todd uh, went down with the family, and now they're uh, enjoying some time uh, together. So really, Graham, thanks. So before we get too far along, uh, let me get out of the way, and let's talk to the Lord. Father, thank you for the gift of life that you give us in your son. I thank you for the songs that we've sung the messages that they had. I thank you for the praise team uh, and their ability to bring us to a place of worshipful thought and prayer. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the gift of life in your son, for your scriptures, and I pray, Lord, that you would remove distractions from our mind to a place where we can truly hear what you're communicating this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you bless us with, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we have covered Romans 1 through 11, and it's my privilege to talk through Romans 12. And so what I'd like to do is just read Romans 12, the passage we're going to cover today, all the way through, and then we're going to come back and hit it uh, verse by verse. So Romans 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. Now, if we look at that first passage or that first verse, it says, therefore. And sitting under Roger Wisdom's teaching for very long, you'll learn that when you see a therefore, you need to figure out what the therefore is therefore, right? So we're going to talk about that real quickly. But fortunately for us, it means we have to talk about Romans 1 through 11. Well, I'm not going to go back and do all those sermons, but Todd did a great job getting us there. But let me quickly walk through What we've talked about. Now, before we dive in, specifically remember the context of what Paul's written. Remember that he's writing to the Romans from Corinth. And remember that he wrote his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, in about 55 AD. About two years later, in 57 AD, he's visiting the Corinthians and he's writing from Corinth to Rome. So, some of what he's written to the Corinthians was likely on his mind as he's writing this letter to Rome. Or to the Romans. And remember, he leaves Corinth and he goes to Jerusalem, intending to head on to Rome and Spain, but he's arrested in Jerusalem, and the story goes on, and we know how that, that ends. He makes it to Rome, but not with the same way that he intended. But in his letter to the Romans, Paul systematically lays out the doctrine of justification by faith, highlighting the righteousness of God. You see, God's righteousness demanded justice which was fulfilled by the voluntary sacrifice of the only sinless human in history. The writer of Hebrews tells us that this sacrifice was, quote, once for all. Once for all, one sacrifice for all time for all who believe. Hebrews 9:12. And throughout the first 11 chapters, Paul lays out some of the most foundational doctrines in scripture. And by way of review, we're going to move through these quickly because we've already covered this ground. In chapter 1, Paul explains the natural revelation of God, the idea that all people know of God through the revelation of nature. He says that it is, quote, evident within them. God's, quote, invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been, quote, clearly seen so that unbelievers are... Get this, without excuse. All we need to do is look around to see God. However, even though they were without excuse, Paul says in, in uh, 1, 24 to 32, he says that God gave them over to their, the lusts of their hearts to impurity, degrading passions, and their depraved mind. And some practice these things but others simply approved of them. To each his own was the mentality of the first century church. This was society. This was culture. This was the world in Corinth and Rome. Sound familiar? This could have just as easily been written about our culture today in America. America. In chapter 2, Paul explains that those of us who judge condemn ourselves, 2 verse 1. He tells the Corinthians, such were some of you, 1 Corinthians 6.11. He tells us to be careful when we judge because we were there too. But then he goes on to say, but you were there too, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Praise God. Chapter 3, Paul explains the universality of sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, 3.23. He talks about justification. We've been justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And he talks about propitiation. Verse 24 of chapter 3, justification was displayed publicly as a propitiation or an atonement or a payment in His blood through faith. Chapter 4, Paul clarifies and explains that justification is through faith alone. There's nothing else that needs to be added. It's not faith plus circumcision. It's not faith plus keeping the law. It's justification by God's grace, grace being unmerited favor, through faith alone to the praise of His glory. And if we were justified while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us not because of our merit or our works or our Uh, our value, but because of the fact that He loved us. That merit and that favor is given to us because of His love for us. You see, death entered the world through one man, Adam, Romans 5, 12. But justification and life is offered through one man, Christ, to all who believe. It's the same message that the writer of Hebrews gives us. Chapter 6, since we were justified, Paul says, Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? If grace is the response of God to sin, should we continue so that we can receive more grace? And Paul's response is, may it never be. He says, do not let sin reign in your body, Romans 6, 1 and 11. Instead, our bodies are to become our spiritual service of worship. Chapter 12, verse 1, that's our passage today. Chapter 7 takes this grace that we've been given and it begins to talk about living as a sanctified believer and the relationship of living as a sanctified believer forgiven and the relation to the law. Again, it's faith alone in Christ alone. But the law pointed out our inability to fulfill the law. And Paul goes on to explain that the law was satisfied in and through the sacrifice of Christ. So if we're living as a sanctified believer, chapter 8, he says that how do we live now? He says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, 8.1. Nothing can separate us from God. We are secure in our faith, 8.39. And we can rest because God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose, 8.28. So as a result, we're called to live free according to His will. Live free according to His will. (laughs) That brings up a question, though. What's His will? Well, it's coming. Chapters 9 through 11 describes Israel's past, present, and future as God's people. And as we talked about those chapters, we believe firmly that the church did not replace Israel and that God's literal promises to the Israelites will be literally fulfilled. Whew, 11 chapters. Do you understand that without what Todd's been doing for the last however many months, we can't do that very quickly? Look at how much ground he's covered. Well, let's take a look then at our passage in chapter 12. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So we know what the therefore is there for, right? It's not referring just to chapter 11. It's referring to all of what we just got through talking about. Chapter 1, it's because of who God is. Chapter 3, it's because of who Christ is. It's because of what Christ has done, chapter 3. It's because of who we are individually in Christ according to the gospel of faith, Chapter 6 through 8. And it's because of who we are collectively in Christ according to the gospel of faith, chapters 9 through 11. Because of all this, Paul says, I urge you, I implore you, I guide you, I direct you by the mercies of God, by remembering the powerful reminder of who we were and who we are now in Christ Jesus. But what does he urge us to do? Paul urges us, urges us to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And this is a command from Paul, and it's obviously really from the Lord, where our lives are our sacrifice to God. Our lives are our sacrifice to God. You know, but, but wait a minute. Um, aren't sacrifices like killed and burned or something? I mean, I don't, I don't know about this. Well, yes, and in a similar way, what the Lord is asking us to do is offer up our bodies and our lives to Him who saved us. Not not in a physical splitting and burning, but in a death-to-self perspective. You ever wonder about the meaning of life? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? I was in class one day, and I walked around to... I see some students, and I ask them if they had any questions. And one of them flippantly said, yeah, what's the meaning of life? Well, I work for a state university. And I asked them, I said, do you really want to know? And they kind of were like, well, I was kind of joking, but yeah, sure. (laughs) And I said, it's very simple. It's love. And they didn't know what to say. And then I went on to explain the gospel of Christ in the context of what he's called us to, and it's love. Galatians 5.14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are here. We are still in this life to love others. That's it. The meaning of life, I believe, Scripture's clear that it is to love others. It's to point them to Christ and make disciples. In recent weeks, the staff and elders reevaluated the Melanie Park vision and mission. And what we found was that the main components or elements from Scripture were included, but both statements were way too long for any of us to remember. And so, through the process of several months, they've been updated. And if you were in the family meeting, you heard them explained. The Melanie Park Church vision says we are a gospel-centered family committed to worshiping God, loving people, and making disciples. It's really a combination of the two great commandments and the great commission. Worship your God, seek the Lord, and love people and then go and make disciples. It's a combination of the great commandments and the the great commission. But it's right there, loving people. Our mission, we seek to live out our Christ-centered lives through biblical truth, authentic community, genuine worship, and loving outreach. The meaning of life is love. Worship and disciple-making. That's what we're here for. You see, God sees us, He sees our lives as a holy sacrifice because of who we are in Christ Jesus by faith. It has nothing to do with us. Have you ever thought about what God sees when He sees you? Do you worry about whether you're good enough? Do you worry if He can ever forgive you? Do you worry that you don't do enough or haven't done enough? Well, let me be clear, you're not, you haven't, you won't be good enough. You can never be good enough to earn salvation. Romans 7.18 tells us that, Paul writing says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. Nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I want to do good, but I can't. But God, being rich in mercy and grace, because of our faith in Christ Jesus and His work on the cross, when God looks at you and me, He sees His children whom He loves. He sees the righteousness of His Son, whose righteousness has been bestowed upon us through our faith. Praise God for that mercy and for His grace. So what is this business about our spiritual service of worship? Why do we present our bodies? What is it about that that is our spiritual service of worship? Remember, he's talking to believers, he's referring to brethren, and he says, hey, listen, don't you see because of all I've told you and because of who Christ is and what he's done on your behalf, you are to live in a way that's glorifying and honoring to God, not out of compulsion or fear of God's wrath, but out of an abundance of thanks for his indescribable gift of grace and mercy. It's really the same message that we see throughout Scripture, uh, but specifically, my brain went to Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. And uh, it may be on the screen, and you can read it if you like, but I'm going to just paraphrase a little bit. It says, we were dead, but God, being rich in mercy and grace, because of the grace with which He loved us, He made us alive with Christ for a purpose, so that He might show the surpassing riches of His grace which is a gift of God so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Those good works are not things we come up with. Those are prepared beforehand. We just simply walk through them in faith based on who he's called us to be. We're here for a purpose. But unless we understand who we are in Christ and why we're here, I believe we're going to miss it. It's His work we're doing, not ours. It's His will we're we're here to do, not ours. But how do we know what His will is? Well, let's keep going. Verse 1, down. Some of y'all are getting nervous. (laughs) Verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But what does conformed mean? So I found these definitions, I don't remember, Webster, Oxford, I don't remember, but they're definitions from a dictionary. Conformed, to behave according to socially acceptable conventions or standards. To behave according to socially acceptable conventions or standards. You see, to be conformed is to allow that around us to shape us into who they want us to become. The world is shouting at us to be this way or that way. It's shouting at us to be conformed to what society says is right. But Scripture tells us to be transformed. Now listen to the definition of transformed to change in composition or structure, to change in character or condition. That's a change that comes in changing who we are. It changes the essence of who we are. It's not to behave a certain way or be one thing and act a certain way. It's to be different. It's to be transformed in the composition or structure of who we are. It's to change our character or condition. But how do we do that? Are we supposed to do that by our own strength? No. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that because of our faith, we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And if we're in Christ, then we have been transformed in our position before God. We have already been sanctified. We have already been saved based on our faith and trust in Christ Jesus But we are also in the process of being sanctified. We are in the process of being transformed in our character. And Paul is focusing on our mind. Remember Romans chapter 1, we had a depraved mind that was corrupted by sin and the culture of the world we lived in. We were conformed to what society told us. And our mind is where we start to go wrong. My dad used to refer to it as stinking thinking, or maybe that was Byron, I don't remember. But Paul is urging us to repent, to turn away from the sin of the world, and to pursue Christ daily, to be sanctified progressively, to grow in faithfulness because of who he is and what he's done on our behalf. But why? Are we just supposed to be better? No, there's a purpose. Let's keep reading. It says, so that you may prove what the will of God is. Well, what's the will of God? You ready? Here it is. The will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If we live in humility to who we are in Christ, then we're going to desire by His grace and mercy to push towards things that are good and acceptable and perfect. So guess what? If it's not good and acceptable and perfect, it's not part of God's will. We saw in chapter 8 that all things work together for good. We see in Ephesians 2.10 that the Holy Spirit leads us to the good works prepared beforehand. Those good works that are good and acceptable and perfect. And God can work all things to good. Verse 3, for through grace... For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Paul says to everyone, speaking to the brethren, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful. Don't be self focused. Well, let's think about Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Remember, he's writing the letter to the Romans from Corinth. So, again, I think Corinth is probably on his mind to some degree. And he wrote that letter two to four years after, or he writes Romans two to four years after he wrote to the Corinthians. And in that letter of 1 Corinthians, he is addressing specifically divisions in the church which stemmed from their arrogance and pride and their lack of growth in understanding the application of the gospel message. They were seeking worldly wisdom, not spiritual wisdom. They were in still in need of milk, even though they should have matured to the place and ready for solid food. So 1 Corinthians 1-3 through 3, 3 says this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, But as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able to, you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? They were still fleshly. They were living in their flesh. They were being conformed to the world. They were seeking worldly wisdom, not spiritual wisdom. And in much the same way, Paul is exhorting the Romans to be humble, not arrogant, but instead to focus on God's will, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, not to seek their own worldly wisdom, but to seek spiritual wisdom. He's begging them to embrace the gospel message and to allow it to transform their minds to think of the will of God. He says, But instead, think so as to have judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Well, then Paul changes and focuses not on the individual, but on the body. He says, In this case, we're talking to the local body of believers in Rome. Verses 4 and 5, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function... So, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. All members don't have the same function, do they? Each member has a different function or skill or purpose. Remember our Melanie Park mission, which was founded on our values? One of those is authentic community. Jeff mentioned it in his welcome. That value is defined in our values as, we believe the church, authentic community, we believe the church is not a place but a family. Our relationship with Christ cannot be separated from our relationships with one another. Therefore, we are devoted to showing mercy, extending grace, and building one another up in love. So this is the scriptural perspective as we see it related to the body. So we who are many individuals, are collectively one body in Christ, and each one of us has an individual role to play. So if we look at verses 6 to 8, it says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given each of us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service, in his serving." Or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Well, there's a long list of things there that we could spend a lot of time on. But I want to jump to 1 Corinthians 12 because Paul gives us a similar list when he's talking and writing to the the Corinthians. And I think that this helps us put this group of gifts. There's a similar group of gifts that's listed in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, but I want you to listen to the context of what the gifts are for, okay? So, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each one of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ have been given the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit has given us these gifts, whatever they might be, to glorify ourselves. No, that's not what it says. Just seeing if y'all are paying attention. It says that it's given to us for the common good. It's not given to us for individuals. It's given to us for the common good. He continues in verse 12, for even as the body is one and yet many members, all members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. If we look at verse 18, it says, but now God has placed the members, many members, each one of them in the body just as he desired. Verse 25 and 26, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And notice that that's connected to the fact that if we're one body, then we can't be divided. And yet, that's the whole purpose of him writing to the Corinthians, is the division that existed. And I believe those same types of divisions still exist. It's, it's obvious. Verse 9 of Romans, and I'm going to keep my finger in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll come back to it in one minute. Verse 9 of uh, Romans 12 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And originally, Todd will probably cover this verse next week, but when he mentioned, he said, go through verse 8, and I asked him, I said, hey, listen, can I go to verse 9? Because it really kind of puts a a little bit of a button on the, the process. He's told us all this stuff, right? He's talking about these gifts, but then he finishes or jumps and says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And then he gives us some other things that we'll talk about next week. If you look at the end of the list of gifts in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he does all this. It's for the common good. These gifts are for the common good, they're not for the individual. It's for unity of the body of Christ. And you can imagine the, the, the reason he's talking is that the Corinthians all wanted to have the better gift, right? Well, I'd rather have tongues. Well, I'd rather have prophecy. Well, I'd rather have whatever. That's not the point. Here's the point. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, Paul says, in light of all these things that I've told you about the gifts, listen, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. It's fine. Gifts are good and still, excuse me, and I show you a still more excellent way. And then he goes into what we commonly refer to as the love chapter. And I don't know about you, but I thought the love chapter was written for weddings. I mean, I just thought that's, (laughs) Paul put it in here so we could read it in weddings. But do you understand the context of the love chapter? We know what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. That's But he's pointing to it, saying, You guys are arguing about the fact that you want all these gifts. Okay, fine, but let me show you a better way. It's love. So, if we're to love one another, where does it come from? Do I have to give it away? Do I have to muster it up? Do I have the love that my wife needs? Do I have the love that my son and daughter needs? What about the love that I'm to give to my friends and co-workers? Maybe some of them I don't really like all that much. It's hypothetical. <laughs> Romans 7.18 says, Nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I'm willing, but I can't do good. I've got nothing to offer anyone in my flesh. So the answer is, the love comes from the Holy Spirit. I've got nothing to offer my wife by way of love in my flesh. But I've got the Holy Spirit who knows exactly what she needs. The Spirit in me is going to love the Spirit in her, and she's going to be filled. But the more that I try to love her out of my flesh, my flesh is arrogant, it's selfish, and it's boastful. And it's not going to take long for me to work hard to love my wife before I'm a little bit bitter because I'm not getting mine, whatever that might be. So if love comes from the Spirit, what do we have to do in order to hear the Spirit? We need to seek God. We need to let Him transform our minds to His will. Wait, I don't have to transform my mind on my own? No. He's given us the Spirit. And when you have the Spirit, you have the Spirit. You don't get more of the Spirit, but the Spirit will allow you to hear and read and process Scripture more clearly. So the last time I spoke to you, I mentioned a, a mantra or a phrase, or I don't know what, the, what really I need to call it, but it's become a large part of my life over the last really decade, I guess. And as I thought through that, in light of what we're talking about today, and in light of the Melanie Park vision and mission, here's what I found. That mantra is something like this. and this is for me in my life, but I need to seek God, trust the spirit and love others. I need to seek God, Matthew 6:33. I need to trust the spirit. John 14, 26, and I need to love others, John 15, 12. But as I looked at that, I thought, okay, seeking God, that relates to our value and our mission of biblical truth. Trust the Spirit. The Spirit and the unity of the Spirit brings us into authentic community. If I'm going to love others, that's the loving component of our vision and our mission. And if our lives are centered around loving others, then it becomes our spiritual service of worship. If our lives are given to others, what is love? It's, it's giving of ourselves, right? If my life is given to other people, then that becomes my spiritual service of worship to God. I'm sacrificing my life for other people by showing them love and allowing the Spirit to love them through me. That's genuine worship. That's our spiritual service of worship. So as believers, we are heirs with Christ. We're called to the spiritual service of worship of God by the Holy Spirit's transformation of our mind and the outpouring of love toward others. So may we recognize our position in Christ, who we are because of our faith and trust in Christ, May we recognize our dependence on Him and His grace to meet this command to love others. So as we go on our way today, let me encourage us collectively to seek God, trust the Spirit, and in doing so, may we be transformed in our minds to a people who love others as God intended. May our lives represent our spiritual service of worship in thankfulness for all God has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to be here today. Lord, we're honored to have a chance to share time in your word. And Father, I pray that you would help us here at Melanie Park to be who you want us to be. I pray, Lord, that we would be a gospel-centered family, committed to worshiping God, loving people, and making disciples. Would you help us, Lord, to live out our Christ-centered lives through biblical truth, authentic community, genuine worship, and loving outreach? Would you receive our lives, Lord, as our spiritual service of worship? Lord, transform our minds away from the things that we desire and put them more focused and aligned with what you desire, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Lord, give us courage and strength to be transformed away from the world and towards your loving kindness. I pray, Lord, that, our, that the spirit that you've put in each of us, would allow, we would allow that spirit to love people as you've designed them to be loved. So, Father, we're thankful for the gift of life. We're thankful for your son and his death and resurrection. And Father, I ask your blessing on the rest of our time here. It's in your Son's precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.